I wish to address the legacy of Patrick, a most important topic because very few understand the treasure that he has left to believers. Ireland has a very distinctive history. It was untouched by the Roman legions that had dominated that part of the world. And it was the island that got the message of the grace of the gospel by Patrick the Evangelist, which message was to last for 600 years after his death. Patrick himself describes the family which he grew up in that had been for two generations at least in Christ Jesus. His own words that he was born of a father who was the deacon Calpurnius, the son of the late Potitus, a presbyter of the settlement of Banavan Tabernier, end of quotation. And so Patrick came from a Christian family, his own father being a deacon in a Christian church. These facts are recorded in the testimony of Patrick, a very interesting historical document. We have five copies of this historical document in the very language Latin that um, Patrick wrote it in. One of these is in Armagh, the book of Armagh. The second is kept in the Cotton Library. Uh, another one, the third, is in the French monastery of Verastus and two more in the Cathedral of Salisbury. It is absolutely authentic. And in this document, we have the person, the character of Patrick, his Christian message of God's grace. It is loud and clear. We have the historical record of the birth of Patrick. It took place in the year 373. In Scotland, he wasn't an Irishman. He was born in what is now Scotland. It was then part of Roman Britain. He was born in a small town on the River Clyde. When he was 17 years old, Patrick was captured by a band of pirates. It was something quite common in those days. A band of pirates came over, captured many youths, and one of those youths was Patrick age 16. He was sold to a chieftain in what is now County Antrim in Northern Ireland. For six years he tended his flock. While he had grown up in a Christian family, he admits that he was not Christian. In his own words, I was taken captive before I knew what I should desire and what I sh or what I should shun. But it was during these six difficult years of captivity that he renounced his careless ways and being dead in sin and that he came to a saving knowledge of Christ Jesus. Again, going to his testimony, his own exact words, quote, before I was humbled, I was like a stone lying in a deep mire. And he that is mighty came and in his mercy raised me up and indeed lifted me up high and place me on the top of a, the wall. 
From there I ought to shout out in gratitude to the Lord for his great favors to this world and forever that the mind of man cannot measure. Patrick's thanksgiving to be saved out of the mire. Patrick, like so many godly men in history, found God's favor in the riches of Christ's grace. Again, to quote from his own testimony, I am greatly God's debtor because he has granted me so much grace. And he grew in this grace, having believed on the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth, he received of his fullness grace for grace. And again, to quote from his own words in his own testimony, more and more did the love of God and my fear of him and faith increase. And my spirit was moved so that in a day I said up, one, up to 100 prayers and at night a like number. Besides, I used to stay out in the forests and mountains and I would wake up before daybreak to pray in the snow, in the icy coldness and rain. And I used to feel neither ill nor any slothfulness because, as I now see, the spirit was burning in me at that time. Patrick's own words speaking about his growing in the grace of God. It was after these six years that he, he um, was able to escape, and he gives an account of that escape. Uh, it was a difficult journey over land and over sea, and he arrived back in his own Scotland. His own words were, I was again in Britain with my family, and they welcomed me as a son, and asked me in faith, that after the great tribulations I had endured, I should not go anywhere else from them. That was their desire. But the Lord had something different to say because Patrick was to receive a direct call, like the Apostle Paul and many others, a direct call from the Lord to preach the gospel in the land of his former captivity. Again, going back to his own historical words. I saw a man whose name was Vitoricus coming as if from Ireland with innumerable letters, and he gave me one of them, and I read the beginning of the letter, the voice of the Irish, and as I was reading the beginning of the letter, it seemed at that moment I seemed to hear the voice of those who were beside the flowers of Foucault which is near the Western Sea. And they were crying as if one with one voice, we beg you, holy youth, that you shall come and walk again among us. And I was stung intensely in my heart so that I could read no more. And thus I awoke. Thanks be to God, because after so many years, the Lord bestowed on them according to their cry. He speaks about another dream that he had on another night, and he makes it quite clear how he interpreted his dream by the word of God in Scripture. And this is most important. He 
interpreted his dream as based on the very word of God. And we quote again exactly from his own words. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we know not how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for utterance. And again, the Lord, our advocate, intercedes for us. We notice there quotations from scriptures. Actually, there are 25 direct quotations and innumerable nuances of scripture in his eight-page testimony. It is remarkable how it is permeated with the word of God. Patrick relied on scripture to understand his experience and that it was the Lord who was calling him. In his own words from his testimony, he who gave his life for you, he it is that speaks within you. He understood that Christ Jesus who had died for his sins was the one calling him to work as an evangelist in the same land in which he had been held captivity. We have a second equally historical document, and that is Patrick's letter to the soldier called Coraticus. In this, he explains his assignment from God to a foreign nation and the glory of eternal life that is in Christ Jesus. Again, his own words now from the second document. Thus I am a servant in Christ to a foreign nation for the unspeakable glory of life everlasting that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this is of paramount importance to see what Patrick says here. He speaks about everlasting life in Christ Jesus the Lord and this is what is key to understanding him. That he saw not a spark of good somehow inside him or not some ritual that he was to do, but he saw salvation only in Christ Jesus. And he saw himself as a sinner because God only saves sinners. He saw himself as a sinner. Again, I like to quote the very first words that he says in his testimony. I, Patrick, a sinner a most simple countryman, the least of all the faithful, and most contemptible to many. That's how he begins his testimony. And he begins his letter to Caroticus with these words, I, Patrick, a sinner, unlearned, resident in Ireland. So Patrick had no doubt that he was a sinner, and he found salvation where sinners find it, in Christ Jesus and that again, he had no doubt whatsoever. Unlike religion, looking to rites and rituals, Patrick looked unto Christ Jesus and clearly said where his faith lay. Totally unlike Catholicism in Patrick's own day that it was beginning, and even more in our own day where officially they say that the sacraments are necessary for salvation. His mission began in the year 
405, and this is very important to understand. It is a fact of history. For example, we have Marcus, uh, an Irish uh, pastor or elder who lived at the beginning of the 9th century, stating that Patrick came to Ireland in the year 405. It's the same of Nennius, who lived also at the same time and repeats the statement. Uh, J.I. Wiley, the famous historian, goes on and on giving historical documentation that it was 405. Why do we emphasize this? Because in Ireland, for the most part, as I grew up and was educated with the Jesuits, I was told it was 432. It was drilled into us 432 just after the Council of Ephesus. Why 432 was it insisted on? So that he could be confused with Pelagius, who was sent out by the Bishop of Rome, Celestine. And so, to try and muddy the waters and to try and cloud what is an extremely clear testimony, there's, there's this historical revision that has taken place in recent centuries and still into our own day, to make it look as if Patrick arrived in 432. He arrived 27 years before that. And when 432 came around and Pelagius was sent out by the Bishop of Rome, he came and found an island that was inundated with Christian churches. He got depressed <laughs> because they would not submit to subservience to a church in Rome. He got so depressed that he left and went to, back to Britain. In the words of the famous historian Philip Schaeff, I'd like to quote Schaeff's own words on this, Pelagius was so discouraged that he soon abandoned the field and with his assistance for North Britain, where he died among the Picts. The Roman mission of Palladius failed. The independent mission of Patrick succeeded. He is the true apostle of Ireland and has impressed his memory in indelible characters upon the Irish race at home and abroad and on many others besides. Patrick has impressed his memory. And we go to this historical dates that we can nail down with absolute certainty. Patrick coming to Ireland in 405. How long was his missionary work? It was to last for 60 years. He gives an account of the difficulties he had to overcome, particularly the hierarchy of the Druids and the priesthood, but also difficult journeys, difficult terrain, and many things to oppose him and the disappointments that he experienced. Yet, he speaks about the grace of God coming to a, a people who, in his own words, had inherited a lie. I'd like to quote exactly again from Patrick's own words. I am greatly God's debtor because he has granted me so much grace that through me, many people would be reborn to God. 
and masses lately come to belief whom the Lord drew from the ends of the earth as he once promised through his prophets to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and shall say our fathers have inherited naught but lies worthless things in which there is no profit and again I have set you to be a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the uttermost ends of the earth and I wish to wait then for his promise which is never unfulfilled just as it is promised in the gospel end of Patrick's words Patrick again looking to the gospel by the mercy of God who caused many to be reborn and to give up their worthless lives and this is the way Patrick came against the, the priesthood of the mystics and the druids the priesthood that had been established in paganism and many thousands professed faith in Christ and Patrick speaks about them professing their faith and afterwards being baptized it wasn't baptism of babies it was professing people who profess their faith whom Patrick baptized it was this stealing of the people after the baptism that caused the second historical document that, that he wrote to the soldier Caroticus it was after a baptism of adults that that letter was written he relied on Christ Jesus and he saw that there was nothing he could do in himself I'd like to quote again from his own words I alone can do nothing unless he himself vouchsafes it unto me but let him search my heart and my nature for I crave enough for it even too much and I am ready for him to grant me that I may drink of his chalice as he has granted to others who love him therefore may it never befall me to be separated by my God from his people whom he has won in this most remote land I pray God that he gives me perseverance and that he will deign that I should be a faithful witness for his sake right up to the time of my passing and that prayer was answered he was faithful in the gospel right up to his passing after 60 years of work he preached the length and breadth of Ireland like Timothy and like Titus before him he ordained many pastors and elders and he set up pastors and elders right across Ireland in the biblical mold not to lord over people in a hierarchical form but as servants of the people of God and to teach them the words of God in the scripture he set up monasteries as well and it is quite interesting to see the monasteries and to have record of the monasteries that he set up these are quite like the monasteries of those days that we find for example in southern France and in northern Italy set up by the Vaudois where men came aside for some years 
to be trained in the scriptures, to learn how to give the true gospel in evangelism. And later, these same men married and had families. It was that type of monastery that Patrick set up. So famous did these monasteries become and the churches that he set up that it was called the Island of Saints, the Isle of Saints and Scholars. It is reckoned that at the end of Patrick's 60 years of evangelism that there was 365 churches in existence. Now we're talking about only about a half a million people resident there at the moment and quite small churches in quite dilapidated type of buildings. But we're still talking about biblical churches founded on the true gospel, on the word of God that dynamically changed a people. And this change was to live on for 600 years after Patrick. It was to follow with the same power and dynamism of directly looking to God in his grace. And we had famous missionaries such as Columba. Columba set out for Scotland with his companions in 563. We have the famous Iona that you can still visit to this day. And his setting up of monasteries like Patrick, where men could be trained for some years in the scriptures. It was remarkable how these men transformed not simply Scotland, but most, most of the vicinity around and <coughs> going into Britain and Belgium besides. We had Columbanus, likewise famous as Columba, whose companions set out for France and Germany in 612. We had Killian, also quite famous, and his brothers, who set out as missionaries to Franconia and parts of Germany in 680. We had Fornanan and the 12 brothers with him that set to bring the gospel to Belgium as late as 970. We had missionaries going out from Ireland. For more than this 600 years, the gospel was carried. We even have secular writers talking about the heritage in Europe, the civilization of Europe by this evangelism. Even people in the secular vein recognizing that the Irish missionaries had changed European society and civilization. But most of all, that men and women were born again to God by these men. And so it was that Germany, France, and uh, many of the European countries, even to Switzerland and Italy, were transformed. The Dark Ages had begun in the 9th and 10th centuries, where in most of Europe, by intrigue and by the years of the beginning of the Inquisition, where Rome had its iron grip on the nations, and even in that time of intrigue and persecution of the Vaudois and others, and the, the Waldenses were to come later, but where we had this intrigue and persecution, still these Irish missionaries went forward. It was in the 
ninth century also that real catastrophe and the beginning to dim the light of the biblical gospel came with the invasion of the Danes and the, the difficulties of the pastors to live under the, the rule that came with the Danes and the, the beginning of the lessening of the light of the biblical gospel even though some missionaries were still going out in the ninth century it was the beginning of the dimming of the biblical Christianity of the Celtic nation of Ireland however the embezzlement of the legacy of Patrick took a frontal assault and it is important to know historically what this is because it's a devastating move on the part of Rome. News had reached Rome about all the Christian churches and this was quite distinct because we had other nations whereby they had brought in edu uh, um, persecution like with the Vaudois uh, not just in um, northern Italy but even some who had moved to southern Italy we had remarkable persecution but here is a, a Christian nation that is, has not been persecuted by Rome so what do they do the famous Adrian Pope Adrian IV why is he famous he's the only Brit ever to sit on the papal throne the only Englishman and he commissions another Englishman Henry II and his commission is that the Irish nation is to be brought under the rule of the English nation and both nations are to be brought under the papal throne and this was authorized by Adrian IV in 1155 he gave Henry II a ring of investiture as Lord of Ireland and he called upon the monarch and I give exact quote from the famous bull or decree of Adrian quotation to extirpate the vices that have taken root in Ireland saving to Saint Peter and the Holy Roman Church an annual pension of one penny her house. What was called vice was of course the Christian churches that were in existence. The full text of this decree I would ask you to read. It's, it's on the Yale University webpage under the law section and in a, a printed form of this presentation that is on our webpage www.bereanbeacon.org you will find an exact link to the webpage of Yale University where you get the whole decree. It is most interesting reading besides the little bit that I have read here. It was 16 years later that this decree and bull of Adrian was in actual fact carried out. That was in the year 1171. With a strong military force, Henry II subdued the Irish nation and then it was one year afterwards that he subdued the pastors 
that were called bishops, but were not bishops in the Catholic sense. They were those who were um, pastors over local churches. He subdued those at the famous Synod of Cashel in 1172. It was because of the might and military power that these pastors had to submit that they would now be subservient to the British monarch and spiritually subservient to the church at Rome. It was a real sad day for the Irish. It was in the same year that the king sent a a transcript, and you can still see this on the internet as well, of charters to the pope that succeeded um, Adrian IV. He was Pope Alexander III. And Alexander III was extremely gratified at the extension of his dominion now into Ireland. And he issued a bull confirming the previous bull of Adrian. And further, he sent out rulings from Rome to Henry II and to the princes and nobles of Ireland and to every pastor in Ireland to establish the hierarchy over the people and to enjoin obedience of both Ireland and England to the papal throne. That was the making of the Irish biblical nation by military power and political clout that Rome has so often done and it's in her own day is still doing. If you look at our webpage on Vatican control through civil concordance, still doing. It is really sad to see what happened. But nonetheless, the heritage of Patrick lives on. And I'd like to read what I consider to be one of the more forceful pieces of Patrick's own words. This is taken from his testimony. I am imperfect in many things. Nevertheless, I want my brethren and kinsfolk to know my nature so that they may be able to perceive my soul's desire. I am not ignorant of what is said of my Lord in the psalm. You will destroy those who speak a lie, and a lying mouth deals death to the soul. Likewise, the Lord says in the gospel, in the day of judgment, men shall render an account for every idle word they utter. So it is that I should fear mightily with terror and trembling this judgment on the day when no one shall be able to steal away or hide, but everyone shall render an account for even our smallest sins before the judgment seat of God. Now these words are like a prophetic utterance of Patrick. They are most important because we have a legacy that has been stolen from a nation. And not simply a legacy, but a legacy of light and life 
in Christ Jesus. And so it is that many of us who are Irish had grown up engrossed in rituals and rites and religion. Yet some of us who even grew up in those rituals and rites have drunk deeply of the biblical message that Patrick himself preached of the grace that is in Christ. And we wish to stand now today on these very words of Patrick that I quote again. No one shall be able to steal away or hide, but everyone shall render account for even our smallest sins before the judgment seat of God. How much more the great sin of stealing a heritage from a nation. And it is my prayer and my purpose in life that this heritage that is ours as Irish would not be stolen away, but that God who is mighty would restore the very heritage that was there in Patrick and for so many hundreds of years after his death. Just as Patrick expected to see the might and power of God in the grace of Christ to overcome the hierarchy and the priesthood of the Druids, is it not too much for us to expect that the same God can pour forth the same gospel and change even those who are in the robes of Rome and the priesthood of Rome. Having people looking to rites and rituals, as did the Druids. And we expect the same God to do a mighty work again and to restore the heritage that is Patrick's own in that land called the Emerald Isle. It is most frightening. And does anybody listening to whom this words apply, may God make it even more frightening to you. The words that are said by Christ Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's not by merely acknowledging Christ and the priesthood and rites and rituals of Rome that somebody is saved. That rather deceives and leads to pride and spiritual arrogance. It is light and life in Christ Jesus. And the will of God has been manifest and in Christ's own words, is clearly depicted. Christ said, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Christ's gospel stands, as does his call on your life. Believe on Christ alone. In the words of the Apostle John, this is the record that God had given us eternal life and that this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. 
he who does not have the Son does not have life. This is the day of grace for you, the acceptable time. Others have had this opportunity and have missed it. Do not harden your heart. The words of Scripture speak to you, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him that hears say, Come. Let him that is at thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Believe on Christ and him alone. And know the same gospel that Patrick did. In the words of the apostle, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. You will have noticed that in this presentation, I have not deified Patrick. I have not glorified his person. Because this is the precise thing that he stood against in his own day. He stood in battle with the Druids, the so-called diviners, mystics, and priests. And the same Druids who, after death, were called saints by the Irish people as people talk to the dead. And so we do not deify Patrick. God is faithful in history. Praise God. And we have a historical account of a remarkable man in history. But he remains a man. But a man who was true to his God. In his own words, again, I am a servant in Christ to a foreign nation for the unspeakable glory of life everlasting, which is in Christ Jesus the Lord. This is Patrick's message, that life is in Christ Jesus, that life and light are in Christ Jesus. It is in accord with the very message that Paul spoke about life being in Christ. For example, in Ephesians 18 times, Paul continues to say, in him, in whom, in Christ, accepted in the beloved, that you are saved by grace through faith. And that Paul got so enthusiastic, as it were, about the person of Christ and his righteousness and of grace magnified in him that he said, but now the righteousness of God is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophet. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Christ Jesus, unto all them that believe. The faithfulness of Christ, his perfect life, is manifest. It is seen. It is there demonstrated. This is the enthusiasm and the distinctness of Patrick in his preaching 
and it is what is put before you today, the excellence of the perfect life of Christ. And what does Paul say? Those wonderful words, upon all them that believe. It rests on you as you believe. You become clothed in his righteousness. The apostle says you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You become clothed in Christ's righteousness, washed clean in his blood. That is the message of Patrick. As the apostle John had said, and we know that the Son of God is come and had given us an understanding that we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life that we are in Christ. And the question is, are you in him? Do you know light and life? Or do you know deadness? Because this is where it is at. That many of us who are Irish Catholics and many of us who were Catholics and those who are Catholics here and throughout the world know just a message of rituals. But these rituals are cheating rituals because they are a substitution for the God of glory in Christ Jesus. We cannot substitute for Christ Jesus any ritual or any ceremony. He is who he is in himself. There is no substitute for him. The message of Patrick is the direct message of God's grace. That God is gracious. God is gracious. And for you, it is that you fix your eyes upon him. That you look on Christ and Christ alone. As it is said in the glorious summation, as it were, of Hebrews, that we look unto him, the author and finisher of our faith. We look unto Christ. That is where the message is. And if we are to in any way uphold the memory of a sinner saved by grace, that is Patrick, it is the memory of one who preached that and transformed the nation. And so, if you are today convicted that you are in eternal death, if you remain in rituals, know that there is eternal life, and that is in Christ and in Christ alone. So you repent of what is most difficult to repent of, and that is religion. Sins weigh heavily upon any human being, but the heaviest laden burden is the rites and rituals of false religion. And to have courage to say, I set my eyes on the Lord, I look to him, I believe on him alone. And that you be true to God and to God alone. And so we say with the Apostle Paul, the very words 
of his grace, that we are accepted in the beloved. And may this be the message for the Irish, but for each one here and anyone listening, that it's a message of God's grace, that the overflowing grace of Christ, Christ who is gracious in his own person, Christ who was full of grace and truth, Christ who exemplified grace in his very person as mediator in his perfect life, but he who typifies grace and that his glory is his grace, that you believe on that and not on anything inside yourself, that you believe on him. And there is freedom, life, now and forevermore. And so that you have, like Patrick, now and for eternity, that joy unspeakable and full of glory. And for this precious soul, Patrick, we give the Lord thanks that he has set him as an example. And we pray that his heritage will continue and will be restored in Ireland. And that not only in Ireland, but again as his message goes forth, that it would transform many other nations to the praise of God's glory and grace. Amen and amen.